Did the angels, or some people even say extraterrestrials, have children with humans? Now, how do you explain that the Bible says creation took place in six days, but there's fossils of humans 30 to 40,000 years old? And by the way, if the Bible says you can't see God, how could people see him in the book of Genesis? Hi, I'm Yvonne Pran, and welcome to Bible 805. Today, we're going to answer these questions and more in our podcast on the first question and answer period in our series, and this one is questions about Genesis. When you first started listening to this podcast or even thinking about reading through the Bible in a year, I'm sure it seemed like a really huge project. But we're almost finished with the first month of it. And I know to me it seems like we're just kind of flying through it very quickly. We finished Job and we have one more lesson where we're going to finish Genesis. But before we leave, I wanted to give the people in my live Sunday school class a chance to ask some questions. Now, they ask quite a few questions and I only have time to answer a few. But after I answer these, I'm going to go back and give you some resources where you can look up other questions that you might have on the book of Genesis. Before we start answering these questions, I think it might be helpful for us just to look at again, why are we even doing the project that we're doing? And the way I'd like to answer it this time is I want to quote some things that I found in the book that I was using last week quite a bit, The Hard Sayings of the Bible, and I've also using it this week. It just has so much good material in it. And in the start of the book, it talks about how we read the Bible. And it says, what is the intention for the Bible? Why did God give us the Bible in the first place? What is his purpose? And he says, to make us wise for salvation, says Paul, and for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So the Bible is supposed to teach us how to live and how to find salvation. The writer goes on and says, This redemptive purpose of inspired scripture is also the point of John 20.31, where it says, These things are written, that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. That's why the material was written that's recorded in our Bible. And this is going to be important, particularly near the end of the podcast, where I'm going to circle back around to this whole topic. But the Bible, he goes on to say that Jesus himself did not recommend the Bible as a book of divinely given facts about things in general, science, history, anthropology, cosmology. Rather, he pointed to the Old Testament and said, these are the scriptures that testify about me. If our study of scripture is isolated from these explicit purposes, our attempts to understand the hard sayings might prove futile. Basically what he's saying here, and I think we need to remember this, and this isn't a cop-out, this is simply reality, and that is the Bible does not answer every question we have in life. It particularly was not written to teach us science or history or anthropology or cosmology, although it touches on some of these topics. But it isn't an extended treatise on all of that. And we need to recognize that. And we need to try to not make the Bible something that it isn't. Remember, Jesus said, the scriptures testify about me. 
the whole purpose of the Old and New Testaments, and again, I'll talk about this more at the end of the podcast, is to help us see Jesus. So keep that in mind as we go through some of the different things that we'll be talking about. So now let's get to our questions. The first question, and this is always a biggie, in Genesis 6, did angels, or some have actually said extraterrestrials, have children with humans, according to the account in Genesis 6? Now let me just read this to you. It is, as many have said, one of the most confusing passages in the Bible. It says, and I quote, When human beings began to increase in number on the earth, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful, and they married any of them they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with humans forever, for they are mortal. Their days will be a hundred and twenty years. The Nephilim in and that also, that word means giants, were on the earth in those days, and also afterwards. When the sons of God went to the daughters of humans and had children by them, they were heroes of old, men of renown. Now the context of this passage is that it takes place just before the flood, and it's given as one of the justifications or explanations for the extreme evil in humanity and why God chose to wipe it out. Now in preparation for this study, I I really studied a lot of different sources, commentators, people who had some pretty extreme views. I looked back at what the reformers taught, just many, many things. And instead of going into every single one of them, because that would take up our whole time, and I really don't think that uh, the answer to the question is, is really not that complex. So again, when I was reading the hard sayings of the Bible, I really liked how they summarized it. So I, I do want to give that book credit, but I'm going to go through basically their explanation of it, because it's, it's really excellent. They start out by saying that the, the real key to the issue is the idea identity of three different groups, the sons of God, the daughters of man, or as humans, I read it in the NIV, usually it's it's rendered daughters of man, and then the Nephilim, or the giants. Now, there are f- several different views that you can have of this, actually three key views. Number one is that it was a mixture of angels and humans. Number two, that they were religiously mixed races. In other words, what they often say from this, there were the there was the godly line of Seth and the worldly line of Cain. And that's what it's talking about when it talks about sons of God and daughters of men. And then the last one is what's called the sociologically mixed races view. And this divides sons of God into identifying them as despotic male aristocrats and then the daughters of man as beautiful female. Now let's look at each one of these very, very briefly, and we'll see exactly what the theories are based on and whether they're valid or not. First of all, the possibility of angels and humans. Now this is a very, very old theory. That story has been around for literally millennia. It is found in the book of First Enoch, and that is a book that was written during intertestamental times. 
It is not by any stretch of the imagination written by Enoch and the Bible character. It's one of what are called pseudopigraphical works. That means that that's that's actually false writings, that Enoch didn't really write it, but someone took on that name of Enoch and came up with his story. And this tells a story of angels who married humans, and the result was huge giants in the book of Enoch. It actually says they were 900 feet tall, and they had children, and then they devoured all that was on the earth, and then people hated them. And it, it's a very, very fanciful story. Parts of it are repeated in Josephus, but the whole story itself is not considered canonical, not not considered true, not considered scripture by either the Jews or the church. It is not even part of the Apocrypha, but it's a story that's very persistent, that's been around for a long time, and people just love sensational stories. In fact, if you saw the movie about Noah, the watchers in that, those giant rock kind of creatures, uh, those were actually something that uh, came out of the book of Enoch. And it is sadly, it's repeated today by some really less than reputable biblical scholars. I don't want to get into that, but but let's just say that the majority of really sound biblical scholarship and of the reformers did not believe that that was true. Now, some additional reasons why this can cannot be. Nowhere else in the Bible is there the idea that angels can marry or have a sexual relationship with humans. You know, again, in opposition to a lot of popular culture and the exorcist and all kinds of different things like that, it simply does not happen. Jesus, and this is the definitive thing, stated specifically that angels do not marry and by implication have sexual relations. He said that in Mark 12, 25. And also, too, uh, some point out that there's no reason why the judgment, in other words, the flood, would happen on earth if angels were the ones that committed the sin because you would have had to flood heaven or wherever, whatever. But um, also, too, this whole idea that giants were the result. If taken in historical context, that really loses some of its power. Most people in earlier times were a good bit shorter than they are today. Now, the Bible tells us that even Goliath, who is considered a giant, and it depends on the manuscript that you look at, most of them, though, say that he was, or it was like four, I think it's four cubits in a span, or it's it's different, there's two different things. But the shorter one is that he was six foot nine, and the longer one is that he was around nine feet tall. Either way, you know, he was a really big guy. Big people weren't that common in historical times. Charlemagne, and we know because we actually have his bones, he was around 6'4". And um, Charlemagne, of course, even his name means Charles the Great. You know, he was he was a, a very um, impressive ruler. At that time, the average man was about 5'6". If you've ever been to one of the museums in England or, or somewhere where you see suits of armor, it's always shocking the first time you see an actual true medieval suit of armor because there's these little little bitty guys um you know it's it's not quite the the idea that we have in our minds of these these great big guys but 
then as in all times someone's physical size can be very intimidating and so that you know just saying that there were giants and they're talked about how there were giants in the promised land that doesn't mean that there was anything extraterrestrial or anything terribly unusual it's just that there were some big strong guys around at that time now the next reason will kind of explain why that could have been an issue. The third view is what is the, called the view of sociologically mixed groups. And what this said, and the um, author went into very detailed rationale for this, and I found it quite convincing, where he said that the sons of God is an early but very typical reference to men in power. Again and again through ancient scriptures and even today, people who were in power, who were very proud, who were very boastful, referred to themselves as a god, as the son of a god. We saw this even in the Roman times where Caesar was a god. And this is something that very powerful men have always referred to themselves as. Those, the term giants, also the writer thinks those were people who were really in despotic uh, power. They were the, the big man on campus, if you will. They were the one that was in control of the city or the group or whatever. And oftentimes they were physically larger, physically more intimidating. That way they were stronger, they could wield weapons better and were just intimidating by their bulk. My, my just a personal note here. My husband is six foot three, and, and he's a he's a big muscular man, and he's a, he's a teddy bear, and he, he loves the Lord. But um, he has been known to really terrify little children. Sometimes they see this big old guy, and until they get to know him, little kids have actually started to cry. And he just always says, "No, no, I'm not, yeah, I'm not going to hurt you." But it's it's kind of funny how a child sometimes just his size, particularly if their parents aren't aren't very big, will just react. Just, just to his size. So not only that, not only were they intimidating and powerful, but the book that talked about this goes on to say that they were the first ones to practice polygamy and that whole idea that just getting what who taking whoever they wanted to, that that was, was what they did. Walter Kaiser sums it up in this way. He says it much better than I've been sort of babbling around. He says, Genesis 6, 1 through 4, therefore, is best understood as depicting ambitious, despotic and autocratic rulers seizing both women and power in an attempt to gain all the authority and notoriety they could from those within their reach. Their progeny were, not surprisingly, adversely affected, and so it was that God was grieved over the increased wickedness on planet Earth. Every inclination of the hearts and thoughts of humanity was evil. Thus the flood had come to judge humankind for the perversion of the authority, the state, justice, and human sexuality. Now maybe that explanation is as um, exciting as angels and, and humans, but I think it's much more truthful and really does make sense. One of the applications of this, because remember the Bible is, is we're, it was given to us to teach us how to live. And I think one thing that this Genesis 6 passage shows very clearly is that immoral power, pride, and sexual greediness is not pleasing to God. Matthew 5 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they should be called the sons of God. People who are greedy and grasping and try to maintain their power, they will be judged and their end will come. In Matthew 5 5, it also says, And the meek 
will inherit the earth. And one of the commentators that I read said this, Meekness towards God is that disposition of spirit in which we accept his dealings with us as good, and therefore without disputing or resisting. In the Old Testament, the meek are those who wholly rely on God rather than their own strength to defend against injustice. And so meekness and gentleness, that is what God desires. Our next question is, if the Bible says that you can't see God, why does it say in Genesis that people saw God? (laughs) You know, what's the contradiction there? Now keep in mind when we look at this that our God is a trinity. One in th- uh, one God, three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now God the Father is the one consistently in Scripture that it says is not seen. But at times, one other person of the Trinity chooses to take human form. Now overall, when this is done, it's called a theophany. Now in most cases, though, when this happens, many Bible scholars make it even more specific where they say that when God appeared in human form, that this was the pre-incarnate Christ. And so they call that a Christophany. This is, again, many, many Bible commentators agree that when someone receives a visit from the angel of the Lord, like um Abraham did, and it happened several times in Genesis and then in Judgment and Kings, that that was, in fact, the pre-incarnate Christ. Now, others say, no, it wasn't a Christophany. It was actually what we call an angelophany, where it was an appearance of angels. But whether which whichever one it is, these theophanies, and I do think that because of the authority, uh, typically, of the person um, in these instances, I do believe it was probably the pre-incarnate Christ. Usually, what I have noticed is that when a specific angel does appear, that angel usually identifies himself as, I am Michael, prince of your people. I am Gabriel. I am whoever it is. They usually say their name. But when it's the angel of the Lord, he doesn't. And it's sort of like it's it's understood who he is. And the, the one commentator, I thought, put this really well. Um, while there are no indisputable Christophanies in the Old Testament. Every theophany where God takes on human form foreshadows the incarnation, where God took the form of man to live among us as Emmanuel, or God with us. The next question, how do you explain the fossils of humans that are 30,000 to 40,000 years old? Well, that's a really good question. Let me tell you, if I could answer that, I would be smarter than probably 90% of the people that uh, do podcasts and blogs and commentators and theologians all put together. Now, uh, this isn't a cop-out, but I I have studied it somewhat, not a whole lot, because I must confess, this is not an an area of interest for me in theology at all. I, I really haven't gotten all that much into it, but I did study it based on Uh, the question that was asked. And one of the things that I found as I looked at many different sources is that there is great debate on even the age of this, just the fossils that they talk about. When someone pulls something out and says, oh, there's a certain fossil that's this old, another scientist might say, oh, no, it's much older than that. And another, these are all secular ones, by the way. And another one might say, no, 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 it isn't even human. You can obviously tell that this is just an ape or an ape-like creature or a human-like creature. And, And sometimes when they only find maybe a jaw or part of 
even part of a skull, they can't really tell. So I couldn't find really any secular sources that were in exact agreement on a lot of these different things. And then on the other side, with the Christian scientists, good grief, they don't agree on anything either. Um, and I, I don't mean that flippantly at all. I mean, I know a lot of uh, this is of great concern to a lot of people, but there are scientists of very good will who believe in what's called a young earth, that the earth was created in seven days and exactly the way it's spelled out in Genesis. There's others who say, well, yes, it's exactly as it happened in Genesis, but it took millions of years and a day doesn't mean a lunar day. It can mean various different things. The bottom line I think if we're honest, is that we really don't know. This is not something that we can come to an exact answer on, but we do know something. And to me, what is not important is the how or the when. I don't know exactly how this all came about or the when, the different, you know, exactly how long it took or, you know, where some of these fossils fit in. But what is important to me, and I think what's the most important thing for all of us, is the who. And that is that in the beginning, God created man in his own image. Now I do think it is incredibly important that exactly whether there was um, beings that were similar to humans or or not or before or after, I mean there's all kinds of explanations, but I think it's very important to believe and to understand that Adam and Eve were real people who at a specific point in time rebelled against God. If you don't accept that, then you have to do away with a tremendous amount of theology in the New Testament. Jesus himself referred to Adam and Eve as people again and again. The Apostle Paul put so much of his theology based on them as real human beings. One of the key passages, and again, we don't have time to go into this in great detail, but I think this is very good, where he says in 1 Corinthians 15:22, For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. The parallel thinking there, and in many of his teachings in Romans and many other books of the Bible, is Adam-specific person. Christ-specific person. This happened to us as being in the family of humanity because of Adam. This happens to us being in Christ's family. And uh, The Living Bible puts it slightly different, and I think this is kind of neat. It says, just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. One of the things that I think we need to realize, as that earlier passage said in, um, you know, why the Bible is even written, it isn't written as a science textbook. It isn't written to give us every detail about cosmology and history and how our world came about. It's written to show us Jesus. And I think that perhaps sometime in our future, in the coming kingdom, the one we trust to get us through our earthly life will perhaps tell us all the details 
answer the questions that we don't know the answers to now. I think that's that's perfectly reasonable to assume that because in the Old Testament many things were foreshadowed, spoken of just in bits and pieces that are thoroughly and carefully explained in the New Testament. And I think it's very reasonable to believe that someday in the kingdom the Lord will answer many questions that we have about that we don't understand right now. Now the next question, and, and this one I told people they can ask questions about Genesis or really anything else, and one of the most important questions of all came up, where someone said, is Jesus the only way to heaven? Short answer, yes. But I don't want to be flippant here. Seriously, I, this got me thinking, and I thought, now the project that we're doing right now, reading through the whole Bible, is really important in answering that question because remember Paul says that reading the scriptures is to make us wise unto salvation and also that the scriptures were written so that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God and that believing we might have life through his name now I got to think about now how's how's that work you know why is what we're doing now supposed to help us in that way now this is this is really really exciting when I thought about it because as you all know, I'm doing this because I'm such a firm believer in that you really need to read through the whole Bible, read it in chronological order, really understand how these things happen, when they happen, how they fit. And this confirmed it so much more because now think about it. And you won't even understand all this till you get through the whole thing if you've never read it before. But every Old Testament book that you read either prefigures or has specific prophecies about Jesus, about the coming Messiah. And then the New Testament shows how these prophecies were specifically fulfilled. Sometime read the book of Matthew. I did this a number of years ago and it was just astounding where every Every time he says, and this was prophesied, this was predicted in the Old Testament, and he, he tells you about that passage, just circle all of those different things. I think I came up between 20 to 30 different sayings where Matthew would say, Jesus did this, but this was exactly what the Bible said he would do. Jesus did this. The Bible said the Old Testament said he would do that. Now think about that just objectively. Thousands of years before Jesus lived, and we can date all of this again in my series on truth and history. You can look at the dating, when the books were written, prophesied very specific things like he would be born in Bethlehem. Um, you know, very specific details. And Jesus fulfilled all of these prophecies. He was not simply some nice man who appeared at a certain time there in Palestine and then died a really tragic death. No, his life, remember we talked about how God stands outside of history. His life was predicted by the God who stands outside of history and who said, this is how I'm preparing the world for the Savior. This is what's going to happen. This is what he did and this is what will happen in the future. And so when we read the whole book, we really understand why Jesus can be the only Savior because he's the only one that fulfilled 
all those prophecies. So it's it's kind of just really all about him. Now, the exciting thing, though, is that he promises to share that salvation with anyone who asks him for it, anyone who wants to get to know him. That's why one of the most horrible condemnations, I think, in the scripture is where Jesus says to a condemned soul, I never knew you. Depart from me. But that wasn't the Lord's fault. Remember, he says it's not his will that any should perish, but that everyone should experience salvation. And then he says, too, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Having said that, though, I think it's only realistic to understand that getting to know Jesus, to know him as a Savior and Lord, takes obedience to who he is and to his word. I, I remember one time, I just thought about this when I was traveling and teaching. I, I, um, I had some books that I'd written with me and they were Christian books and I had to leave some at, a fr- at the front desk uh, for someone that was going to pick it up later when I was checking out and I said to the young man, could you please give these to so-and-so? And he goes, yeah. And he goes, oh, he goes, are you one of those people who believes in God? And I said, yes, I am. And he asked me something else, and I can't even remember what led into it. But I said, you know, I said, you might kind of think about getting to know God as Savior and friend before you meet him as judge. And he kind of went, oh, never thought about that. And really, that's a whole point. That someday, I truly believe that every knee will bow, and every one of us will meet our Creator. On what terms are you going to meet him? Is he going to be your friend? He wants that. He offers that. Or will he be your judge? The choice is yours, and I hope through the classes here in Bible 805, the podcast and the live classes, that I'm giving you the information that you need to get to know him. So hang in there with us. You'll really discover some exciting things as we go through the rest of the Old Testament and see these prophecies of Jesus and then how they're fulfilled in the New Testament. Now, I promised some more information for um, resources for more answers in Genesis because I know there's so many more questions and there's even a lot of questions that I'm going to be answering in the live class that I'm not here on the podcast. But uh, here are four websites and these will be listed in the notes on Um, Bible805.com. First of all, uh, equip.org. I really, really love this website. It's by Hank Hanegraaff. He answers a lot of questions, and particularly on Genesis, he has some very good things. He's actually written some short books on evolution, and I, I highly recommend those. Answers in Genesis is a very conservative website. It is totally young earth theory. And it's it's good people, good people. I don't always agree with everything that they say, but you definitely, if you're researching things on Genesis, should look at their site. Then gotquestions.org, that's a very good place to start looking for answers for lots of questions. It's not as scholarly as some of the other sites. Answers in Genesis and what I'm going to give you in just a minute, have a lot of very good scholarly research, but gotquestions.org, it's just a great place to look for initial answers. And then str.org, that's standtoreason.org, and it is a fantastic um, website, very, very good resources, lots of articles, lots of writers, some of the very best possible. 
That's all for now. Please check out the show notes and other material at www.bible805.com. And until next time, I'm Yvonne Pran, your fellow pilgrim, writer, and teacher for Jesus, and I'd like to close with this benediction. May you know the invitation of God to move from confusion to clarity, from wandering to rest, from loneliness to knowing you are loved, from turmoil to peace, from wherever you are on your spiritual journey to a growing knowledge of God's Word and in your personal relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.